And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman on a loaded episode. We'll talk whether Coastal Carolina, yes, Coastal Carolina, or should they be a top 10 team, should the Big Ten change its rules for Ohio State, give our thoughts on South Carolina hiring Shane Beamer, uh, a lot of stuff to talk about in the Pac-12, and you're going to want to hear Bruce talk about what it's like to do a pregame show with Urban Meyer right now, given all the Texas rumors. Okay, Stu, let's get into what was the story of the weekend, and that was a game that wasn't even on the schedule about four days before it actually happened. And that was undefeated BYU traveling cross country to face the Chanticleers in South Carolina. And it was a game, honestly, it was so much fun to watch. I thought it uh, exceeded, actually, its billing going right down to the wire. Um, You've had a, a night to digest it. What's your biggest takeaway from what we saw coming out of uh, Coastal Carolina's big win over BYU? Yeah, I mean, going into it, uh, obviously I was very excited about the matchup when it came about on short notice, and I feel like we spent most of the time leading into it, and, and um, you know, Jamie Chadwell said as much in his post game, focused on, will this be enough to get BYU in a New Year's Six Bowl, and you know, BYU finally gets to play a good team, and not a lot of talk about Coastal, which in the end of the day is such a remarkable story about a program that is only in its fourth year in FBS, was picked last in its division. And once the game started, like going into the game, BYU is, I think, a 10-point favorite. I did think that Coastal's offense, that spread option offense, could be tough to prepare for on short notice. But the game opens, they go on a nine-minute touchdown drive, and you're like, oh, okay. This this is going to be a game. BYU is not going to cruise in this at all. Um at the end of the day, you know, coming down to it, just the most dramatic finish possible. And I just love the whole scene. Um, forget implications, forget playoff rankings, just a school that that we never paid attention to until this season, having its moment in the sun. The, the Mormons versus uh, Mullets t-shirt, just perfect. I mean, this was, this was just everything college football is all about. Um, straight up to the I mean it's not often that I watch a game anymore that I like yell at the TV or jump out of my chair I think I did both when out in the last play when when Coastal made the tackle at the two-yard line because it was just unbelievable I felt like it it was the same way I I sometimes feel with March Madness where there's a team you see on the you know first Thursday or first Friday that's a you know, and, and maybe it's unfair to call Coastal, but I mean, look, they weren't far removed from being an FCS program to see them being a 15 seed. And then they beat somebody. And then you're kind of like, okay, they're the darlings. They get everybody excited and you're in the sports bar. And then they keep winning. And now all of a sudden you start to know the stories of their of their players and of their people. And, you know, I mean, look, I didn't, I, I'll be honest. I watched the Kansas game like you did in the opener, which seems like a year ago now. And was really impressed obviously with their freshman quarterback but also Chad Staggs is the defensive coordinator there and to see what they did to a really good a prolific BYU offense and Zach Wilson I mean, they were averaging 48 points a game they held them to 17 yesterday I thought that was something especially considering there wasn't wasn't like they had a chance to really they had to pivot to this I mean you know on beginning of the week you're worried about Malik Willis and, and Liberty in that offense and then you switch to something completely different um so I, I just felt like from that element, it was really, it was great for all the reasons that college football sometimes, you know, like as everyone's joked, I mean, some of these games are scheduled three years, 10 years out in advance. 
Uh, but I do want to touch on something. So now you've seen it, right? This is a team that beat Louisiana, which went to, you know, that transitive thing, but went to Iowa State and beat arguably the best team in the Big 12 and beat them handily. They beat BYU. They beat Appalachian State. They beat Appalachian State. I mean, why shouldn't this team be in the top eight? I mean, look, if you could, and and I, I feel like I'm piling on now, but it's like, hey, the committee did it twice. If you can stick Georgia at number eight, with two blowout losses and, and no good wins, why would you not take the undefeated Chanticleers and stick them at least in the top eight now? Yeah, I mean, they, you know, other than just kind of a blanket, dis, you know, dismiss them because they're in the Sun Belt, um, I don't know why you wouldn't have them in the top 10. They are under 10 and 0. They have, like you said, several quality wins. And to me, it's just watch them play. Uh, there's they have speed on both sides of the ball. That offense is really hard to stop. Um, you know the quarterback uh, runs that system very well. Am I gonna? You know, if they're playing um, Alabama tomorrow, I'm not picking Coastal to win that game. But once you get down to the bottom part of the top ten, there's nobody. Like, I mean, I, I think it's it's important to note. Like, I know it was early in the season. Teams get better. Teams get worse. But you know, the other top team in the Sun Belt beat the first place team in the Big 12, beat them by 17 points. So there's a bit of a barometer there in a year where a lot of a lot of teams didn't play any non-conference games to say, okay, the teams at the top of the Sun Belt are pretty good. And so for Coastal to be 10-0 and at this point, I mean, give them, give them the right credit. I don't think that will happen. I think they'll probably just move up to where BYU was at 13. Um, but yeah, I'd have them in the top 10. Which is a shame that, that if they only moved them up to 13. So I'm going to pin you down. Before we move on, you said you'd have them in the top 10. Would you have them seven? Like, how high in the top 10 would you have them? I mean, you just gave them a ton of credit and everything you said I agree with. But, like, now knowing what you know, we got a two-loss Iowa State team, which looked really, really good smashing West Virginia yesterday. But it's a two-loss team, and that got beaten handily by a team that Coastal beat. Uh so there aren't that many teams you're going to stick in there that would be like, do you stick them number six now? I mean, this was a really good team they beat. I'd put them right behind Cincinnati. And I honestly don't know, you know, who knows if since which one's the better team between Cincinnati and Coastal. But Cincinnati is number seven. I'd slot them right behind them at number eight ahead of Georgia. I'm sure Georgia fans would say, oh, we, we'd beat them by three touchdowns. We've got all these five-star recruits. Maybe. Or... Maybe you'd run into the same problem that Zach Wilson did. Um, you know, it's it's. I think they're they. You know, I know the committee. It's best versus most deserving. But in this weird season, who knows which one's better or best? I just think that based on what everything we just said, how they've proven themselves against some pretty good teams. Whereas Georgia, their best win is Auburn. Auburn is now five and four and has gotten um, outclassed the last two weeks. Yeah, put them eight. Fair enough. I would agree with you. I would make. I would agree with that a hundred percent. So, going back to the other side of things, where we got Alabama, which to me is the clear number one right now. Um, as expected, they blew out LSU and Baton Rouge in a game where, honestly, the way it started for the first half, I was like, they could score a hundred. They could score ninety. Uh, you know, the, the, the thing that actually surprised me a little bit was TJ Finley and LSU moved the ball enough at, at, to the point where I'm like, all right, they may end up scoring, you know, 35 points. So they may be doing their defense a big disservice because all of a sudden they're going to end up, L, LSU is going to be giving up huge play after huge play, which is basically what happened. And I think, I assume you watched most of it too. One of the things that became pretty clear to me is we know how we know that Devontae Smith is really, really good. I mean, he's going to run away with the Bolitnikoff Award. Have we been sleeping on him? Should he be the guy that should be getting the Heisman love? Maybe even more so than his quarterback, who's been terrific, uh, you know, all year. Yeah, sure. I mean, you—he's unbelievable. He's doing it week after week. Remember, Jalen Waddle. Uh, that's a significant loss for Alabama, and their offense hasn't missed a beat. And he—he's the guy. I mean, everybody knows he's Mac Jones is going to throw to him. He still gets open. Um, 
I think the issue that receivers run into in the Heisman is chances are if a receiver's putting up big stats, the quarterback's putting up even bigger stats. And that's certainly the case with Mac Jones. And I know that um, I think there's still like a lingering sentiment that he can't possibly, Mac Jones can't possibly be that good because he was, you know, he was the, he, he succeeded Tua, who is such a highly regarded quarterback. But, um, and he got off to, you know, a rough start last year, last year's Iron Bowl. But hard to, hard to argue with what he's done this year. Uh, Mac Jones is completing 76% of his passes, 3,100 yards, 27 TDs, three interceptions. So I say that because I just think the Heisman's going to be decided on the last night of the season. You've got several players, Kyle Trask, Justin Fields probably, although we'll get into that in a bit, whether he'll be playing in a Big Ten championship game. Um, Trevor Lawrence. Where's your top three right now? Uh, I actually last night did go Devontae Smith one. So I went, uh, it was the all-SEC Heisman ballot of Devontae Smith, Mac Jones, and Kyle Trask. Um, you know, because I, I think if you're saying Devontae Smith should go ahead of Mac Jones, and that's perfectly um, justifiable, well then why not Kyle Pitts ahead of Kyle Trask? I think he's just as dominant at his position as Devontae Smith is at his. Yeah, that's a good, you know, that's a good logic there. Um I went Devontae Smith one, Kyle Trask two, Mac Jones three. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, Kyle Pitts could be definitely deserving. I think Jared Patterson could certainly be deserving. There's a bunch of guys who I think deserve more credit. Um, I think whatever hopes Zach Wilson had of winning the Heisman probably ended uh, ended last night in South Carolina. But um, The interesting one is Trevor Lawrence because he's a guy who – has been considered the surefire number one pick for three years, is the most recognizable player in college football. And I feel like every year something happens early in the season and he just never gets talked about again for the Heisman. Uh, and this year obviously it was missing two games, including the big Notre Dame game. But again, I just think on the last day of the season, you have the ACC championship will be playoff implications for both teams. The SEC championship, playoff implications for both teams. I just think that whoever has the biggest last, you know, last impression. So if Trevor Lawrence goes out and shreds Notre Dame and uh, leads his team to victory against the team that was missing him before, could that be enough to overtake the SEC guys we were just talking about? I think Justin Fields is at a disadvantage because he just is going to end up playing so few games. The one thing that could, and and you're probably right on that. The one thing that to me is is interesting, and again, I don't want to go too far down the weeds in the Heisman because. I just feel like people it's don't actually care about the Heisman. Yeah, um, but it, what you said before kind of popped with me. It was it's like all Heisman, you know. Like there's probably an element of that where it's like those guys are going to split their votes a lot, and it, you know if if and it's it's a moot point now. I think because if Justin Fields doesn't have the three pick game where they beat Indiana, I think he's clearly the guy in the out of that Big Ten Midwest region. And there's not, I mean, Brees Hall's had a terrific year, but it's not like normal where there's an Oklahoma guy there. So, and there's certainly, you know, the West Coast right now, it's just, it's non-existent when it comes to, you know, who's the guy we're going to be talking about. I mean, you know, so I don't know. I, I just think that it's, it's going to be a, a curious race to, to see where it goes from there. Well, Justin Fields, if you're going just – if you throw out stats or number of games and you just say, who do you think from watching football are the three best players, I'm, Justin Fields would be in there. Uh, he's – you know, I think that Michigan State game yesterday was a good reminder because when they – when it came out that morning and you reported it, that they were going to be without their top three tackles, their starting center, my first thought was, oh, poor Justin Fields. Like, put him in bubble wrap for this game because he's going to get – um, they're going to be coming after him all game. But, you know, he's just so elusive. Uh, and missing all those guys didn't stop Ohio State from basically picking its score on offense. He didn't have, like, the, the most ridiculous stats, but it, he clearly was the, the key to that game. And uh, once again, I know we talked about it at length last week, but it's still a huge story coming into this week. Will Ohio State-Michigan happen? Yeah, the game, from everything we've heard, definitely is in jeopardy. Uh, we'll see what happens by Tuesday and Wednesday if Michigan is in a better place to play. 
Uh, obviously, Ohio State was without a bunch of key guys yesterday, down three offensive offensive tackles, down their starting center, down a starting safety, and Tough Borland, their number two tackler. Um, and as well, I think they were down three coaches at least, uh, in addition to Ryan Day. So it has been a real issue, especially in the Big Ten. So something to monitor. I think the shame of it is, you know, like Kirk Herbstreit said, we're so fixated on the playoff race that the whole conversation has been basically just about whether Ohio State will play enough games to get in the championship game and playoff implications. But at the end of the day, Ohio State-Michigan is one of the premier – uh, events of the year, one of the biggest rivalries. Even when Michigan's not good, like they are not good this year, people watch that game at noon on usually Thanksgiving weekend. And the idea that we would go a season without it, that we would just not have Ohio State Michigan, that's really sad. Um, I wish, with the benefit of hindsight, the Big Ten had thought to do what the SEC did with the Iron Bowl and put it earlier so you'd have a chance to make it up. Um, it's it's going to be really sad if they're not able to to play that game uh and then i do think the big 10 just reading the tea leaves i don't think they want to change their rule now it was pretty telling yesterday that they went ahead and and saluted northwestern and, and acknowledged that they clinched the big 10 west basically because once the big 10 it wasn't because somebody lost um northwestern had their game canceled this week it was just because they played enough games to now have to avoid you know, the the average games going below six. So they're basically saying Northwestern clinched the division because they uh, we now know that Wisconsin's not going to be able to meet the six-game minimum. Wisconsin ended up losing, but at that time, it w- they could have still uh, they could have still possibly had a better record than Northwestern. So having already done that, how can they now turn around and say that rule doesn't apply to the Big Ten East? Yeah, it's, it's an odd position to be in right now. It really is. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how this is you know, going to sort itself out. It's just, it's just messy politically, I think, with the ADs. And it's certainly if you're Indiana. Now, you did go lose to Ohio State. Um, but you would look at that and say, okay, by the rules that they, the ADs and the chancellors had put in place... You know, we should be going to the Big Ten title game. We should be going to the Big Ten title game. I don't. I don't. I so. think maybe they know. My, my read on it, and I'm just totally nobody. I don't have any inside info here. Was that maybe they know that Minnesota is not going to be able to play next week? Minnesota is supposed to play Nebraska. They've obviously been. I mean, every it feels like every few days we get a new email that they're now they're up to 45 cases. Now they're up to 49 cases. Um, and if that happens, then Ohio State can just play another game, whether that's whether that's a second game against Nebraska, which is not ideal, or move some pieces around. I think if you could have, uh, you you could use that as an opportunity to have uh, Ohio State make up its game against Maryland. Maryland plays Rutgers next week and have Rutgers play Nebraska, which, by the way, was what Nebraska wanted before the season, to not drop that game. Uh, then your problem solved, right? If, if it gets to Wednesday and nobody else is going to cancel, I think it's too late at that point to just suddenly change the rules. It would just be so – I know the ACC just did something similar, but it would be such a blatant manipulation of the rules you agreed to. Yeah, and this is – look, I mean, nothing is seamless with every, with everything that's gone on. Um, by the way, um, we've, we've talked a, a decent amount about Indiana, but just I am really, really awed by what Tom Allen has done there because they lose – their terrific quarterback to an AC torn ACL out for the season, Michael Penix Jr., and still beat a team that a lot of people were really high on, uh, Wisconsin. And I think that just really speaks volumes about about that culture and how they just keep keep impressing us. It's really something. There was a great moment after the game when Holly Rowe was doing uh, the post game interview with Tom Allen and. He's standing in front of the microphone as the Indiana players are coming off the field. And once one guy did this, they all did it to stop and interrupt the interview and to say, best coach in America, best coach in the country. Like these guys clearly revere their coach, Um, a coach who was fairly anonymous coming into this season nationally. So um, that school, uh, Chris Vanini had had a crazy stat that they've beaten Penn State, Michigan and Wisconsin this season. 
Chris has that the Hoosiers were 3-57 and in their previous 60 games against those teams. Just having a remarkable season now. They played Ohio State. They lost. I think anybody would acknowledge Ohio State's the best team in that conference. So if Indiana ends up in the Big Ten title game due to a technicality, um, there's going to be a bit of an asterisk there. But that doesn't mean they could still make a New Year's Six game if they win their, their next two. Um, that's And that would be just remarkable for Indiana football. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Well, also, amidst all the games Saturday night, you broke the big news that Shane Beamer is the next coach at South Carolina. Seemed like it had been trending that way for a while, but there was a little bit of 11th hour drama with Scott Satterfield uh, interviewing on Friday and really, really ticking off the Louisville fan base. And Billy Napier, um, they played Friday night. That crazy game, that, that bizarre decision by him to take an intentional safety, but it worked out. And then he talks to South Carolina, and then he puts out his his statement, his tweet Saturday night that he's staying at Louisiana. And I don't know, maybe 15 minutes later, you report that it's Shane Beamer. Yeah, and, and as you said, it was trending this way for a while. Shane Beamer had been somebody that a lot of trustees there liked, as well as former players from his time on Steve Spurrier's staff. It was about a decade ago, but... Um, so there was there was that part of it, and I think we had this in our search story going in. There was three other candidates they really were interested in, which was Billy Napier, who went to college in South Carolina and had turned down some SEC opportunities before. Uh, there was also Hugh Freeze, who I don't think was ever got. It just never seemed like it was going to go in that direction after too long. And Steve Sarkeesian, same deal. But then you did have like kind of an under-the-radar candidate, Scott Satterfield, who I think there was real interest in. Um, and I think one thing that, that you look at now going forward, uh, there's a lot of friction between him and his AD. And I don't know how, how, how you put some of the toothpaste back in that tube. I mean, it's it's certainly you can you can clear up a lot of stuff in an off season, but I just think this was a guy who came in, did a remarkable job after what Bobby Petrino had had left behind. Uh, they had a great first year and a not very good second year, and we'll see. I mean, I think he's gonna. I think next year is expected to be a year with a lot of coaching turnover. And he's going to be high on a lot of people's radar. And I think he's going to be, there's going to be like an elephant in the room with all these issues that seem to have come to the, seem to have uh, come to the fore in this search process. I've, I've rarely seen a fan base turn on a coach so quickly after, I mean, he was a hero last year coming in and, and turning that, you you remember how awful they were in Petrino's last season coming in, they won eight games. He's the savior. This has been a rough season, but it really just seems like, and, and I love the AD statement making reference to that the fan base has trust issues with football coaches. They're so burned by Petrino, and when he would flirt for jobs and then finally left for the Falcons, that Satterfield, not just they interviewed for another job, but interviewed for a job that they would consider to be not a step up from Louisville. Um, just, it's like he just lost them. Like now they. I think the only way to win back their favor will be to go out and have a huge season next year. Yeah, and look, I think this is again, this got a lot of attention as it as it cranked up. 
I'm not sure they're like obviously we've talked a lot about Texas and those issues before I don't know how much turnover we're going to see this winter I mean there's some other places where you where you definitely have friction between the AD at Virginia Tech and Justin Fuente and obviously things aren't going great there Um, there's a there's a pocket full of things that you're hearing where there's some friction between ADs and coaches I just don't know if now is the time where it's going to lead to direct you know direct change all right well and and the whole uh beamer stuff was going on during pac-12 after dark which you had two pac-12 after dark games last night both went down to the wire utah holds on against an oregon state team that that had no business being in that game playing without jamar jefferson and their their quarterback got hurt uh you had that going on on one channel you had ucla surviving asu on the other um, I know the Pac-12 is not part of the playoff picture, and I'm sure a lot of the country just totally ignores it. But this has actually been a pretty fascinating little thing with the little season. With uh, it's just such an unusual situation, and you're having some really unlikely stories coming out of it. Colorado, four zero. Carl Durrell, I was huge critic of that hire. He's proving me wrong so far. Um, they have a running back, Jarek Broussard who when I did their state of the program uh, thing and I talked to the SID and I talked to um, Durrell and I talked to one of their beat writers, nobody ever even mentioned his name. He was that far down the depth chart and he ran for 300 yards and he's having a great season. And then the other one that really, um, you know, that was, well, there's two other ones. We can, we can broach both of these, but, you know, Oregon lost its second straight game and lost to Cal who was winless. Ducks fans can't be happy about that. And then Stanford, displaced from its county, spent the week practicing in Seattle. Pictures circulated of them in a downtown park doing a walkthrough. Uh, they went and ended the whole uh, Washington celebration after three games. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a back to back weeks where Washington played somebody and fell into a huge hole after the first half, and then rallied. And this time they couldn't couldn't undo it um it looked a lot like stanford of old quite honestly it was like it was a good day for that for that uh stanford dna because mike bloomgren who i think we both like who was the former stanford o-line coach got a huge win for for his rice program it's his third year they've been struggling and they beat an undefeated what was an undefeated marshall team uh, that, by the way, had blown out everybody they'd played this year, and they beat Marshall 20 to nothing. And I think it was, I don't know, it was the first win over a ranked team for Rice in like 80 years or something crazy. So um, good day if you're if you're a Stanford person. Yeah, they've really rallied from when I accidentally, not accidentally, from when I un, um, unfortunately said they might be the worst team in the Pac-12 on the podcast a couple weeks ago. See, so the interesting thing with the Pac-12 to me is this. Oregon now Oregon can still win its division um, it's not like they're out of it but clearly this is a team that the fans had playoff hopes for they've that's not not only is that not happening there that's not even close to happening but at the same time the only reason it feels probably feels kind of like a, a lost season at this point is they only have two games left so they're three and two there, there's not a lot to, to play for at this point and so I just don't know if you can even do they get a mulligan? Because if this were a normal season, there would still be plenty of time to turn things around. Be not maybe go nine and three, uh, but a mulligan for what though? Still a mulligan for quote unquote not meeting expectations. You know the expectation. I mean, was, is this? But is this a, a big surprise? You lose your entire offensive line and your best player and the best player in the conference opts out. The best defensive back you have and the best defensive player. Javon Holland, he opts out. You, by the way, already trying to replace the sixth pick in the draft. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to look at that team and go, even if it was a normal year, based on all of that, you lose the entire offensive line and you're losing all these guys to opt-outs. And Justin Herbert, I don't know how you'd expect them to be like a playoff team. I didn't expect them to be a playoff team myself. I think that – but I didn't – here's the thing. It's like all the ups and downs of a season – have been compressed into three weeks because whether you thought that whatever you thought going into the season, they started three and O and they moved up pretty high in the polls. 
Uh, and I think that's when you started to hear, I mean, the new quarterback looks great. Joe Moorhead's offense is looking great. You, you know, probably started to get hopes up. And then two weeks later, it's not like, you know, it's not like Iowa State where they lost two games and now they're playing in the in the Big 12 title game and, and everybody's feeling great. I mean, now this might all feel different if they beat Washington and they do play in the Pac-12 title game. I'm just saying it just feels like every game is a referendum when you're only playing six of them. No doubt. Um, before we move to the mailbag, I feel like you should say a couple of words about the school closest to you or that normally is closest to you. Is San Jose State? Correct. Unbelievable. So we saw, we talked about Stanford being displaced to Seattle. Um, San Jose State kind of like secretly practiced somewhere in the Bay Area this past week at a high school. They, they wouldn't reveal where. But then their game against Hawaii was supposed to be a home game. It got moved to Hawaii. So you, know, you talk about BYU, last-minute flight across the country. San Jose State flies to another island uh, and beats them, 35-24. They are now 5-0 and for the first time since 1939. Isn't that incredible? They've been playing football for uh, you know, 80 years and never even got to 5-0 and during that time. That is crazy because San Jose State actually has some pretty good football history. Obviously, Bill Walsh has, had come through there, and Jeff Garcia played there, and there's a you know a bunch of other people. You're like, oh, that guy went to San Jose State, but it had been a long time since anybody really felt like talking about them. Like I remember when Mike McIntyre uh, started to get some momentum and get things going there, and I popped in to visit them just because I knew one of the guys on his staff and. I mean, that program felt like it was on the brink of getting the plug pulled on it, you know? So so good for Brent Brennan and, and that group there. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Should we get to the mailbag? As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. All right, starting out, Will asks us, Hi, guys. When you do your top 25 coaching rankings, the list always seems to start at three after Saban and Dabo. But has Brian Kelly moved into pole position for number three? I think he's past Kirby Smart, and I think the only other argument would be Lincoln Riley. Still think Ryan Day needs to show more. What are your thoughts? I think we're, I think Will is correct. I, I do. I mean, he had that one uh, clunker of a year about four or five years ago. I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago where they went four and eight. And uh, even though when he was mid into his 50s, uh, he showed that he was going to still keep evolving. And I think he's done a really terrific job there. He's made some really shrewd hires all over the staff especially on the defensive side of the ball first with Mike Elko and now with Clark Lee um, as it relates to that I definitely um, as Will put it he to me he wasn't behind Kirby in the first place but 
there's I think there's definitely distance between him and Kirby. Um, Lincoln Riley is a good is a good argument. I think he's definitely merited that spot. Um, and look, it's really only Ryan Day's second year, and it's a short amount of time too. So um, I am in total agreement. I think that really Brian Kelly, there have been two different. You can almost look at it as two different tenures. There was the first half of it at Notre Dame, where they they play. They had a bunch of eight and five seasons. They played in the national championship game that one year, but it, you know the, the that team doesn't stand up uh, to to you know in the, in time. Like I think everybody thinks back to them as being a bit of a fraud. Then he has to hit the reset button after that four and eight season, and since then, ten and three, twelve and one. 11 and 2, 10 and 0. Uh, there was a stat going around that this is his third, that, you know, after they beat Syracuse, this is his third undefeated regular season there. I think that Notre Dame, as an independent, they haven't gotten the memo that the conference championship game does count as a regular season game, but still, I'm not going to diminish, you know, being, being 10 and 0. Uh, I, I don't think there would be anybody else that could claim that unless Ryan Day wins the national championship this year. Then two years or not, I think you would have to move him to the front of the line. But you know, I think it's just, um, I think you have to appreciate, so to appreciate Brian Kelly, just look back at the coaches before him and how, you know, Notre Dame, you can say they've got all the money, they've got prestige. That didn't really do much for Ty Willingham, Bob Davey, or Charlie Weiss. Brian Kelly is just, it's back, it's, it's where it was under Lou Holtz, um, which a lot of people didn't think could happen. So, um, I think, long story short, we both we agree with you, Will. Next question is from Mike Resch. Bruce and Stu, with 2020 proving how it's not impossible to schedule games quickly and innovative ideas like the Big Ten's cross-division games down the line at the end of the season instead of just the conference championship, do you think it's realistic that the powers that be might allow teams to schedule an extra postseason game outside of conference championships in the future. As a Notre Dame alum, I'd love for us to be able to get that 13th data point people always talk about while retaining our independence. I'm glad he brought that up. While I don't think they're going to add a 13th game, uh, I don't think that's they're looking to extend the season. What I love about BYU Coastal and how it all came together is that now I, I think, I hope, that other ADs will wake up to what I've been saying for years, stop scheduling your non-conference games so far ahead of time. Um, and so what I could see happening is is not an extra game, but could we do, do you remember uh, the Bracket Busters event that they used to do in college basketball every year? Sure. Where they would, they wouldn't, they would say which teams are in the pool, and this was for mid-majors, but they wouldn't actually determine the matchups until maybe a month ahead of time. And so they could see, okay, uh, these are the teams that need that could really use a resume boost going to the NCAA tournament. We're gonna they're gonna play each other, which is basically exactly what happened with BYU Coastal. So, what I would love to see is that teams just leave one spot open. You can schedule your other games 15 years in advance. Leave one spot open. We won't wait till three days beforehand like this one, but three or four weeks ahead of time, maybe two or three weeks, whatever you need. We'll say okay, these two teams are both. In the hunt, they could use an extra win. They're going to play each other. Uh, these two teams are both looking to get bowl eligible. They play each other, and then we'll put, you know, we'll have a toilet bowl as well. Um, it would just be, it would, it would add a little extra sizzle, I think, toward the end of the season if we knew, because we're trying to figure out where to rank these teams, and it can be tough when they're just playing only teams in their own conference. If we knew we had that coming up, that data point coming up toward the end of the season. Okay. Next question from Blaine in Virginia. Arizona, South Carolina, and Kansas are a combined 2-20. and 20. Is this the end? Please, gamble on a coordinator or a group of five coach. They may not work out or they may leave, but they do not have capped upside. So obviously that's a reference to Kevin Sumlin, was Will Muschamp, and certainly is Les Miles. So... Bruce, you left out the subject line of the email, which was, is this the end of retreads? Um... It's true. I mean, there are outliers. Certainly, Ed Ogeron made the case last year that for the ultimate retread who end up winning the national championship. But nine times out of ten, when the schools make a hire, like all three of those hires, he, all three of those schools and coaches he's referring to 
are ones that at the time they were announced, I said, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Some more extreme than others. I think I may have given Kevin Sumlin more of a, of a shot. Uh, by the way, that they've, I mean, you say you don't think it's going to be a very eventful coaching carousel. Arizona's got to make a change. They, they haven't won a game in over a year. They're really bad on defense, and they got even worse when their two best defensive players opted out and ended up when they didn't think there was going to be a season in the Pac-12. They both went to Big 12 schools, and Tony Fields is probably an all-Big 12 linebacker, and it shows. I mean, they're horrible on they're horrible on defense. I, I know they, they gave USC a really good game when Grant Gannell, their quarterback, was healthy. Gary Brightwell's a pretty good running back. But right now, they're a shell of a team, and they're a shell of what was not a very good team to begin with. Arizona last won a football game on October 5th of last year, 35-30 at Colorado. They then finished 4-8. Um, he, so he's, he's going to go 3-for-3 three three on losing seasons. Yeah, I just don't see why there's anything to be excited about with Arizona football. South Carolina has made the change. And I don't think Jeff Long is going to throw in the towel on Les Miles after two years, but uh, clearly the initial excitement when they had that great win at Boston College last year and actually uh, won a couple, won one Big 12 game and gave Texas a real scare in another, just they've been completely uncompetitive this year, although they almost, they almost pulled it off against Texas Tech. So I agree with Blaine. You know, if you're if you're a, a program, and all three of these programs were made these hires, um, not because somebody left them in good terms, somebody had to rebuild or try to improve on the guy before. Don't hire somebody with a with a proven ceiling. Um, so what? I think we I, we have to define what a retread maybe is. You know, like. Is it somebody who's been fired someplace else? Because that would probably lop off a bunch of guys. I think it's somebody who who has been fired somewhere else and is then being hired for a comparable job. Like it's one thing if somebody is fired, but, those, but none of those guys were hired. None of those guys. Will Muschamp was the only one who was hired to like a ha, like a halfway solid uh, power five job. Like there's a huge drop down certainly between LSU and Kansas. There's a big drop down between Texas A and M and Arizona. It's not like these guys got anywhere near close to the same job. I mean, Florida is a much better job than South Carolina. I do think I mean, in hindsight I would separate out Kevin Sumlin. That actually made sense at the time because while things didn't go well toward the end, he'd had Johnny Manziel. He'd, he'd, he'd had, you know, he had success at Houston as well. We should point that out. And it's not like Arizona is a plum job that, that high-profile coaches are running to. I think that's different than when South Carolina hired a coach who failed in its own division, when Kansas hired a coach who, while he has a national championship ring, uh, just seemed like the game had passed him by towards the can end. I, can I, I, I'm not entirely disagreeing with you, but I don't think this is cut and dry. I'm going to throw you out some examples here. Um, Sonny Dykes, who got fired at Cal, has been a very good hire at SMU. I don't even, uh, but I don't, that's one where I think, Okay, he, he he got fired at a Power 5 job. He lands a Group of 5 job that happens to be much more in his natural comfort zone. I don't, I don't view that the same as those. Frank Solich got fired at Nebraska, has done really good at Ohio. Again, Power 5 to Group of 5. Uh, okay. David Cutcliffe got fired at Ole Miss. He's done a very nice job at Duke. David Cutcliffe never should have been fired at Ole Miss. That was a sham, and uh, he proved them wrong. Mac Brown got fired at Texas. This was another hire that you and I both were a little skeptical. Mac Brown, to so. this point, has definitely uh, proven uh, proven us wrong, and and is the uh, one of the outliers to this rule. Um, I'm saving one for you, by the way. Uh, I feel like there's a couple others that Gary Anderson retread did not work. Uh, nobody wanted him other than I guess a big. Booster that was another one that you just State. knew it was going to fail at the time it was announced. Because that one went really bad at the end of Oregon State. Um, really bad. Like, I can't... Anytime Oregon State is on TV anywhere, Lindsey Schnell seems to, like, can't get past <laughs> <laughs> Gary Anderson Barb. Um, look, I, I mean, I don't know if, if I would call him a retread, because I, I definitely think he has grown from, from the job, certainly at New Mexico. And Mike Loxley would fit into that category. And the jury's still out there. Um, so... 
it's not cut and dry. You're right. But I do think Steve if Adazio. we were to... Comp- Steve Adazio. Definitely retread. Yeah. If we were to compile a tally, the, yeah, what were you thinking would far outweigh the, wow, smart, great move. All in all, I just think the most important thing about this question is that Bruce taught me that I've been mispronouncing retread for my whole adult life. <laughs> what is the country in Europe that we both occasionally get a question from and we should really know where it is and we don't know how to pronounce it? Yes, I forget which one that is, but we, we've, we've screwed that up every time. All right, next up, John Polzer. This will be an interesting kind of peek behind the curtain for you, Bruce. As a Texas fan, we were all glued to the pregame show for some indication about what might be happening with Urban Meyer. What was it like to be part of that group knowing that the Texas game was coming up next and there were so many rumors about Urban Meyer and the potential job? It was definitely interesting. Um, I will say this. So our, our production meetings, this is roughly the way our week works. We have a uh, conference call that we're all on on Mondays and then we have a lengthy production meeting in person on Fridays. And then uh, there are some elements of the show that are taped Friday afternoon and then obviously we're in there at 5 a.m. the next morning but in that meeting on Friday um, I sat there and this is just straight observation um, thinking if Texas is going to make a move and you're going to bring in a new head coach and the early signing period is just a couple of weeks away I mean these moves probably need to happen pretty soon right and um I, my read was, again, and this is just my observation, um, Urban, as I've said before, was very engaged, is as engaged in our show and in this show as anybody I've worked with, especially on certain elements of it. And he was not at all, like, distracted. Like, if, if it was somebody who, like, it just didn't seem like if there was something going on where, hey, I'm going to be closing on a recruiting class um, I didn't get that vibe at all, you know, or anything where there was, he was not, you know, I, I didn't see anything that would strike me as somebody who looked like they were the rem- remotely distracted or anything like that. He seemed very, you know, very comfortable. Um, so take that for whatever it's worth. Um, I just, you know, I mean, who knows what, what what's going to be. But I that was my read on, on certainly Friday and then even more so, uh, you know, as well yesterday um, during that. So it's not, I'm not in his head, <laughs> so I can't say, you know, with 100% certainty, but just like as somebody who was sitting near him at the table, I didn't notice anything that was like indicated, oh, this was going to be a guy. Like I, I had worked with Rich Rod when he was, before he left to take the Arizona job, and you kind of knew where, where he was looking and what he was thinking and some of that stuff. It, didn't, it just doesn't feel like that for whatever it's worth. I take it it's considered out of bounds to just act, come out and ask him, hey, are you taking the Texas job? Yeah, that would um, that would be super duper awkward probably. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, I wouldn't. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like, I think, you know, I'm not privy to whatever conversations he has with our bosses or anything like that. And so, you know, I'm trying to be respectful of that as well. So, but just like I said, observationally, I mean, that was my my read on the situation. Okay. Um, staying in L.A., Brian Tragesser, there's a rumor Graham Harrell, USC's offensive coordinator, will accept Utah State's head coaching position. If that happens, where do you think USC goes with their OPC position and offensive scheme? Stick with the air raid or find the best guy, whatever he runs? I don't, I don't know. I think there's a bunch of people – who are diehard USC people who aren't thrilled with the air raid system and probably everyone's going to say, yeah, we run a physical offense no matter how much we throw it. But I think there's probably a lot of people who would sit there and say, we want to be, we, we want to be more downhill in what we do stuff, how we run plays in the red zone, how we run, run short yardage plays, things that they feel like are more part of USC's DNA. Now, obviously Graham, I think has done a, done a good job there especially with the way they've developed some quarterbacks and especially developing receivers i could see why utah state has interest in him all right Stu. the final question of the day comes from nicholas bermude hey guys love the show thank you nicholas just wanted your opinion on if you view chris peterson as a big enough name for the potential texas job thanks for the podcast stay safe 
Uh, big enough name, absolutely. We've talked about if if they can't get Urban, who would who would appease the fan base? You got to be excited about that. But I don't think Chris Peterson, who has completely fallen off the face of the earth, uh, you know, he just did a complete disappearing act since last year. Who we talked about it at the time when he had his retirement press conference. We he is a, he is not your typical football coach. We could see him being perfectly content with whatever he's doing in his new life. So to come back to coaching, even if he gets the itch to come back to coaching, I don't think it would be at a pressure cooker job like Texas. Don't you think it would be at like UC Davis? Yeah, I don't think it would be a place that has its own TV network or anything like that. It just doesn't strike me as him. That's part of why he didn't want to be the head coach at USC like six or seven years ago. So I don't think so. Um, he was burnt out on the on the twenty four seven three sixty five recruiting. Um, certainly, the expectations at Texas are even higher than they would they were at Washington. Uh, that's that doesn't seem realistic to me. Have you? Heard, what is Chris Peterson doing now? I would love to know. I mean, I always loved catching up with him, and it's not fair to me for me to say he's drifted off the face of the of of the rate of the earth or anything like that because I'm sure he's perfectly comfortable where he's at, just keeping a low profile. But he was somebody I would love to have on the podcast. Um, I'm not even going to tease it by saying, Chris, if you're listening, because I know you're not listening. Um, but, uh, yeah, I always found him, like, really engaging. And my kind of thing with Chris Peterson was always, like, I think there's a lot of football coaches who, when they look in the mirror, they kind of think they see Chris Peterson, even if they don't. Because I just feel like he was really about, like, the real, you know, world stuff that players are dealing with in development i thought he was just you know a little like we've talked about matt campbell and somewhat tom allen as well where they're like they're way more substance than they are style um so i don't know i i know a handful of people who are still really close to him and i've tempted to you know i've i'm not tempted i've thought about reaching out to them just to kind of circle back with him since it's been about it almost coming up on a year now but um I'm sure he'll pop his head up at some point. Well, uh, you said he's not listening. I'm sure he's not. But there could be somebody that's close to Chris Peterson who's listening. And so if you are, please relay this message from us. You remember Bruce Classic Saturday Night Live moment, Lauren Michaels putting out an open invitation for the Beatles to reunite, holding up that check? Chris, We have no check to offer, but Chris Peterson, if you're out there, you have an open invitation waiting for you on the Audible. We have no check. We might be able to offer you some Coors Light, some Trader Joe's, or some very comfortable underwear. <laughs> that's that's about the best we can do. We'll get you a home field T-shirt of whatever, whatever, whatever design you want. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.